0: Half a day, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Agu'ut, a Fanatsu podcast series amplifying queer, feminist and gendered voices in Guahan. Each month, we feature filmmakers, artists, activists and students to share their enriching experiences on topics including identity, queerness, feminism, arts, mental health and community building. The name Agu'ut, meaning to hold each other in tumouru, reflects the intention to uplift and hold a collective space for marginalised voices. I'm your host, Helen Young, a Hong Kong Chinese queer feminist scholar, community organiser, mother, illustrator and zine maker from Aotearoa, New Zealand, now living in Guahan. I hope you enjoy this episode. Half a day, everyone. Our guest for the first podcast episode is Amanda Dedicatoria, a queer Filipino writer and filmmaker in Guahan. Amanda uses any pronouns and is a self-proclaimed empanada enthusiast. Welcome, Amanda. <laughs> Half a day, and hello everyone. Um Yeah, thank you so much for the intro. <laughs> that was perfect. Yeah. yeah, so this is my first episode for the segment. I'm a little nervous, but hopefully, you know, Amanda's an amazing guest and I can't wait to chat with you about everything. Oh, I'm so excited.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And I'm just so honored to be here and to be able to talk with you and all of your listeners.
0: Yeah. So um, I saw Amanda actually at the Migratory Bird event um, last weekend, was it?
1: Oh, yeah. It was uh, last Saturday. It was just kind of like one of those instances in which you're like, I've seen you online. I've seen your username. Are you Chinese?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, so Amanda submitted to a zine. I'm a queer zine I'm doing with a group of friends in Guam, and yeah, I was really excited excited to meet them that day. And yeah, just tell me more about you know the event. Did you enjoy it? You were working there.
1: Oh yeah. Um. So I work for Guam NSF Epscore at the University of Guam and. As a part of the event, we were able to partner with the Sea grant, and we uh, we we funded the the bird fest, the the migratory bird Festival. It was the second annual event of of, of its kind, and we had birders, we had uh, vendors, we had a lot of like outreach about like birds and everything birds, and it was just like really wonderful. and it was like so nice to like you know see you there.
0: Yeah, that was my first time seeing a cocoa bird as well. So I was really excited. And, um, my nine month old daughter got to touch a brown
1: tree snake. So oh that <laughs> so was
0: exciting. very exciting.
1: Yeah. Aren't cocoa birds like so round? I don't know. They're just so soft and so cute. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: yeah. Thank you so much for like, you know, having me here. It was like, I think it's like really great that, um, that you're, giving us like this opportunity to be able to like talk about like our stories as like queer people and go on. And, uh, when I saw like, you know, the submissions for your zine, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is I've never seen anything like this before. And this is just so exciting that, um, that you were able to like give this voice and give this opportunity for us to share our stories.
0: Yeah, when I first, I actually, so I arrived on island maybe like one and a half years ago. And while I was in touch with some people about zines, I didn't get to see many like feminist zines or zines that represented marginalized communities and queer voices. And it was like around a year before I met friends and was able to be like, oh yeah, I want to make a zine like that. I want to, you know feel comfortable like talking about my experiences and inviting other people to join me and just like connecting with other people it was a very new experience for me for someone migrating from Aotearoa New Zealand what was your initial reaction when you saw the post or where did you see the post
1: um I saw it on I think it was Noelle's Instagram and um I saw it yeah I saw it on Instagram and when i saw the flyer i just wanted to say that i really love mushrooms so the mushrooms kind of caught me at first and when i like read the description i was like thought that i had was just finally like you know finally we have like this sort of outlet to really um talk about the unique experience of being queer in a place like Wuhan.
0: yeah i really like the link kind of like mycology and like mushrooms have with i guess queerness and I don't know if you're, you've read any literature around that or, yeah, there's like, um, kind of growing like link between like queerness and how like, um, mushrooms and fungi are just like part of that movement.
1: Oh, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. If you ask any of my friends, like, you know, what they identify with me, um, it would just be mushrooms because I do resonate with that because like I feel like, like mushrooms, um, a lot of like the just existing as a queer person um, like some of the similarities that we have with mushrooms is that there's a lot of internal work that a lot of the magic happens inside. And like, like when it comes to like mycelium and when it comes to uh, being queer and it's only after some time, like when it's time that there's a sort of emergency, Emergence in mm-hmm. a blossoming. Yeah. Mushrooms.
0: Yeah. I totally agree with you. And for me, I'm just like, sometimes I feel like I'm just like a squishy mushroom with, um, that's genderless. And you know, I kind of just identify as like some squishy blobby thing. And that's how I feel. And yeah, that's why I used, um, fungi for the poster as well, mushrooms. And yeah, I was really happy with that. I felt like it represented a lot of like, stuff i was reading at the time and things like that so tell me more about your um poem that you submitted to the zine
1: um so my poem is called uh when you are coming out to yourself um did you want me to like read it out
0: yeah yeah i would love to hear it
1: okay so um let's see so when you are coming out to yourself you do not have to be good you only have to press your fingers Into the soft clay that is your body and mold. Round the edges, wet your hands with earth, form instead of conform, and realize you are not manufactured, you are created. Embed the tenderness of friends who press their forehead to yours and tell you that they will love you as you are and who you will be. Dip yourself in glaze, let it cocoon you, and finally fire yourself with the will, the fear, the joy of becoming.
0: Wow. That's amazing. I love it. I read it when I read it. I loved the poem already when I received your submission and I was like, I really want to connect with you and I'm glad you're on the podcast now.
1: Oh wow. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. When I was uh, writing that poem, I feel like um, when it came to like the, the the submission for the zine, it just really made me think about like the things that are right as like a writer and like as a poet. And I had realized that I had never written anything about being queer and queerness. And so like what inspired this poem is kind of like sort of mundane moments of your life that are actually uh, magical. <laughs> because like it's kind of like um, when you're truly just with yourself in the moments that um, where the outside world and its expectations and, you know, it's and whatever it wants from you. Just doesn't exist in your mind and you're just truly alone with yourself and you're able to have this conversation in which you can discuss who you are, your existence and what you can become. I think that was like a lot of what really inspired the poem. Because to me, um, you know, queerness is, it's love, it's liberation, it's freedom, but it's also about possibility. I think, uh, I think the most wonderful thing is that a lot of the queer people in my life are creatives. Um, I think the reason behind that is because like we've all had to create ourselves in a world in which that was devoid of the space that looked like us.
0: Yeah. I feel that definitely like after moving to Guam, I've been having to navigate like it's very different from the city life that I was used to in Auckland and I guess just having to slow down day to day and just learn to live with myself was an act of queerness to me and how radical it could be with resisting structures as well and being like, you know, anti-authoritarian and focusing on like rest and love and liberation and building community. Because essentially after I moved here, like COVID was at its worst in Guam as well. And I just felt like... You know, I had no community. I was pregnant as well. And I was kind of just like indoors most of the time. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to make friends. I'm never going to have a queer community in Guam. Where is everyone? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I think for a lot of that time with the pandemic happening as well, like our views around structures have really changed. And I've read a lot of literature around um, queer parenting as well. And how that affects my, I guess, my role as a parent or as a mother. So I love what you talk about with building communities and, you know, queerness as a possibility for liberation.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, if there's anything that I have learned throughout my life is that there's always someone who's going to love you. And sometimes that person is just yourself. Like sometimes it can be hard. It can be really hard to like just love yourself because like, you, you know, you're the person who has been with you your whole life. But I feel like your relationship with yourself is a romance and yeah. it should always be passionate. She, and you should always like work hard to see yourself in ways in the perspective of someone who adores you and loves you
0: think for me that radically shifted when I moved as well because before I was uh, doing a lot of community work when I was in Aotearoa New Zealand um, I was doing community work I was like doing creative workshops all the time and speaking at events and I felt like I was um, doing what I was really passionate about but also burnt out but moving here made me feel like that was all erased and my identity is like being re- rebuilt as a parent and as someone that wasn't able to or still isn't employed yet because of um, you know immigration mm-hmm. um, processes and things like that, um, just thinking about those things and spending time to myself has made me really reflect on the idea of like loving myself and like just like what movement building means for me
1: that's amazing I'm so glad that you you've had that experience and you've had those like realizations with yourself yeah
0: I feel like definitely like it's hard to find different
1: communities here it definitely is i'm like what like we have so many coffee shops here mm-hmm. and like none of them is like a queer like coffee shop like what is going on
0: yeah like, maybe we should open one. Oh, yeah, yeah. that'd be so good
1: <laughs> i've been dreaming of like having one with like um some some bookshelves where like we can feature you know stuff from like local artists stuff from like you know local writers and all that stuff and we could just have people like Eating cupcakes and muffins and lounging around.
0: Yeah, when I first got here, I was asking my partner, so where are all the spaces for (laughs) activists or like, you know, um, feminists or queer folk to hang out? Like, um, and he was essentially like, I'm not really sure, like, or there's not really many things going on in Guam. Yeah, I guess I was in a bit of shock when I first arrived here because there's not many community things going on, perhaps because of the pandemic, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just felt, like, very isolated as well in Guam with finding other
1: queer folk. Yeah, I can definitely, yeah. like, um, yeah, I can definitely, like, feel that because, like, I, I know that, like, there are a lot of, like, events around Pride Month, which is great, but I'm queer every day so, <laughs> yeah. of the year. So I really, I don't know, like, I, I really get that that want and that desire to be able to make those connections. Like someone was telling me like, oh, you can go to the untouchable shows at Icon. And I was like, I sleep at 10. Are there track shows <laughs> that like show at 7 p.m.? Because if there are, then like, you know, count me in. But otherwise, like, you know, I want I want to be queer during in the daytime, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I think for me as well, like now that I have like a daughter, I'm just thinking about how um my life and. Auckland would not have played out the same because all the queer events are at night you know mm. people go dancing and like there's music and everything and I'm just like I need to put her to sleep mm. I have to go home I'm really tired what <laughs> so about- I can't imagine it playing <laughs> out anymore the same and yeah like even events that are friendly for queer parents as well mm. like thinking about things like that it's just I just feel like it's so
1: hard to find things like that here. We could definitely start something. I was thinking about like, wow, you know, you know, we could have like book clubs, just gatherings, just, we could just get to know us like events. Yeah. That'd be really cool.
0: I think I just want to have like a picnic or something, something really cute. So fun. Yeah. And we can dress up with like mushroom print. Oh
1: my things. God. Just no. <laughs>
0: yeah. I guess talking more about like queer communities, are there any like organizations you've come across or um, events that... Were particularly memorable for you?
1: Mm. Well, that's a really, that's kind of like a tough one mm. because like we have like gone through those, those challenges. I think the last time I ever went to a queer event was there was like a pride event in a Ganya and it was like a few years ago before COVID. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like pretty non existent.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think personally, I think a lot of Pride events are very, like, you know, capitalist and, like, commodified, and it's Mm -hmm. just, like, um, shops putting up rainbow flags and things like that, and I'm like, I don't don't know if I necessarily, like, want to actually, you know, attend an event Mm -hmm. like that sometimes, or, like, yeah, like you said, I'm queer every day, not just... On the days where they decide to put out a flag or like some rainbow decorations, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I'm like, you know, I see, I guess they're nice, right? It's a good sentiment and Mm -hmm. it's, it's nice that that visibility is there. And I don't take that for granted because like, you know, as someone who's lived here and has seen the attitudes shift throughout the years, it's just been amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like as a community, we should never stop striving for more. Yeah like we should have these spaces (laughs) we should like be able to connect with each other we should be able to know that we can walk into a room and we can walk into a space and know that we are welcomed as we are
0: yeah i wish there was like a club at university of guam or something you know even oh yeah to like have talk more about queerness and feminism and gender Mm -hmm. yeah something where young people can gather as well
1: yeah that would definitely be like super exciting i know that um at one of the high schools at JFK, John F. Kennedy, um, they do have, I believe, like a, a pride club. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really exciting to well, see. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, some of these, like some of the people in the younger generations do have, are making these spaces for themselves.
0: Yeah. So tell me more about, um, queerness and queer identity and how that, how you define that for yourself.
1: That's a, that's a really, that's a really good question because I feel like, when you think about it, queerness is just so open that it's yeah. really hard to define it. And if you really put like a definition on it and you kind of put it in boxes mm-hmm. when like, that's just not the point of queerness. Yeah, definitely. Um Yeah, for me, as someone who like grew up queer here, I kind of like have this distinct memory of being eight years old and looking into mm-hmm. the mirror and like being surrounded by like all my family members, just having this thought that was, you are not like the people who are around you. And it kind of haunted me because uh, I was like, well, what do you mean by that? I just had that thought follow me for years. And looking back, I just, I realized that I just didn't have the vocabulary for these experiences. Um, I didn't have a lot of, I actually didn't have any uh, queer adults that I could look up to that I could see as like my representation in like my daily life. Um, because like the culture here at the time was very like hush hush. You don't really like talk about like sexuality, like if at all. So, uh, growing up was a little tough because I had to, I had to figure out who I was. I'm someone who is gender nonconforming, someone who is like androgynous. And so I had to like who came from one of those like stereotypical Filipino families in which since I was like born assigned female at birth that I would kind of act and display myself within those parameters. But I I wasn't any of that. I think one of the greater memories that I have as a kid is being 14 years old and my dad taking me to the men's section of Ross. Uh And I felt like liberation. It felt like celebration. I have Never in my life have I ever been like so excited to hold a pair of cargo pants. Right. Like, I don't know. I was just, like, it just felt so good. And I felt so free at that moment that um it just opened up all of these possibilities for me. I think I draw like a lot of inspiration from just seeing other queer people in my daily life. And like they could be wearing a dress or like an outfit or like just have these accessories or present themselves in a way in which that makes me so excited because I'll be thinking, wow, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. You could do that. I could do that. Or what, or like, what else can I do? And just kind of rolling with that feeling and that thought and discovering because discovering more about myself and what I like and what, what joy feels like in my body. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel like there's a, like there's a lot of pain when it comes to like coming to terms with the fact that you are queer because of all the expectations that are, that are around you. But I think what a lot of people don't really talk about is just the joy, like the joy that you find in discovering all of these parts about yourself. Yeah. Make you feel more you.
0: Yeah, I loved that as well. I think for me, I grew up in a very traditional like Chinese migrant family mm-hmm. and my parents migrated to New Zealand when I was before I was one actually. So, while I was growing up with very strict like traditional Ch- Chinese values around gender, around what it means to be like, you know, a girl or like um what I shouldn't do. I, you know, I had these moments you're describing as like, you know, little moments of like euphoria or happiness where I remember you spoke about being taken to like the men's section at Ross. I remember my mum or yeah, my mum bought me a boy's flannel when I was in junior high and it was a blue um DC flannel um and it was um like a skater kind of wow. flannel and I was so happy putting that on and going to school because it made me feel like I guess like boyish and it reflected what I was feeling about my gender at the time and it was just it just made me happy looking in the mirror and I think it's well yeah I've felt these little moments of joy like you describe like throughout my life as well but then there's a lot of pain mixed into like being confused about your gender as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like, while there can be a lot of pain and confusion in like discovering who you are. I feel like the joy and the happiness um, kind of surpasses all of that. Like Mm -hmm. that is what I live for. I get to wake up. I, I don't know. Well, I'm just, the reason why i said that i'm an I'm not an enthusiast is not only because like i love them i love them so much i just can't wake up early enough to get them <laughs> um is because like i love order the magic and ordinary things mm-hmm. and the magic and ordinary moments because these are the moments in which they make you who you are yeah I, like every day i wake up and i'm just i look in the mirror and i don't feel restricted anymore i feel like hey that's me and it's me and it feels so great to be me.
0: Yeah, that sounds so beautiful. I think for me, I'm still kind of struggling with that as well. It's like a constant process. Like some days I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, I don't really like it to be me today. And the next day I'll be like, wow, I love this outfit I'm wearing. Or like, <laughs> you know, I look in the mirror and am like, oh, I love being me today. Um, I love that I'm doing a podcast episode or like, you know, meeting cool people today and i think it's just like a constant process as well what are some things you do to make you feel mm, happy
1: Mm. well for me um i practice i try to practice a lot of gratitude where i i wake up and there are people who love me in the world um there are books that i get to read and enjoy there are movies that i get to cry over there are friends who i get to see even after like so long and it's, I I try to think about all the things that I'm grateful for, even Mm -hmm. when it gets tough, especially when it gets tough. Yeah. Because like, um, I feel like gratitude can really be your tether to like yourself. Um, It can be hard. Like there are definitely some like difficult days, but you know, at the end of the day you have yourself and you've gone through all of your hardest days. So, if you're listening to this, like you're a fighter, like congratulations, <laughs> you've gotten this far, and you'll just keep going. And isn't that is like it? Isn't that so wonderful?
0: Yeah, I think it's wonderful to just celebrate every day that we're still here. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that as well. And yeah, I think you talked a bit about your upbringing as well. So, how do you feel like you know? our queerness is not just like gendered, it's also racialized as well as um, people of color. So how do you think being Filipino and your identity influences this?
1: Ooh, that's like a really good question. Um, I think within the past few years, I've been really kind of like soul searching in terms of like uh, my identity as like a Filipino person. Mm-hmm. I've lived here all of my life. I'm part of, I'm a part of a second generation uh, immigrant family. So my parents moved here and then I was born here. And like, I didn't grow up around a lot of like, you know, Filipino kids. Cause like, you know, we just were like a very small family. So I, I did know a good amount about like, you know, my, my culture, but not much about like queerness. And so like lately I've just been reading a lot of books about like, you know, the history of the Philippines its cultures and like I've read that like uh, there was queerness like before like it was like it was like fully accepted um and I don't know it's sorry <laughs> I didn't think about this one hmm. could you repeat the question again
0: um I guess just wanting to know more about how your Filipino identity, influences um the way you think about queerness or even the way you yeah the way it's like influenced the different ways you think about queerness whether it be like negative or positive positive. and you mentioned um revisiting like historical kind of texts and looking at how queerness was accepted um yeah but just wondering
1: how this influenced your upbringing well, yeah, I've been reading a lot of books about, like, you know, Filipino history and culture, and I kind of discovered that we've always been here. <laughs> and I think I found a lot of comfort in that because, you know, for so long, I felt like a sort of puzzle piece. that just couldn't fit mm-hmm. in the whole, like, grand scheme of things. But then I kind of realized that I'm not a puzzle piece. I'm a piece of wood that can be carved mm-hmm. into whatever shape it it wants to be. What
0: about family-wise growing up? You mentioned growing up in a, I guess, more traditional family as well, or mm-hmm. where they talked about gender in very normative ways, or like how did you feel like that contradicted some of your ideas around queerness? Or oh
1: man, um, I think when you say that, what comes to mind and. I'm sure that some of our Filipino listeners could probably identify with is all of the Palmolive commercials, you know, the shampoo that smells like super floral with all of these, like, you know, they're, they're light skinned Filipinas. They have like super straight hair. That's like super shiny. It's flowing. I don't know how soft, I don't know how like it gets to be like so smooth when they're like swishing their hair and with all the water in it. But yeah, like that was kind of like the quintessential idea of what it would be to be like a Filipino woman. And I was not that at all. Mm -hmm. I have, I am Morena. I am tanned. (laughs) I am dark skinned. Um, I have curly hair that's like super thick. And I just wasn't that image at all. And so like, even if I did try to like conform to that, there was just no way that I could. And, you know, for, for a time I had spent years like straightening my hair and getting all of these, uh, these perms. And even when I was trying to emulate that sort of, I guess that sort of um, ideal, when I thought, I thought that, you know, when I, when I finally was that ideal, that I would be happy, that I would fit, that I would be whoever I was supposed to be. Um, When I was that ideal, I just realized, oh, this is just not for me. It doesn't fit me and I just don't want it. So like there just came a day where I had my long straight hair <laughs> and I chopped it all off and it felt good. <laughs> yeah, I
0: think for me that moment was like in senior high when I was in like my last year of high school or the second last year. I was just like, wow, I'm so sick of looking like, you know, the ideal Or like the cool Asian girl, the only cool Asian girl at my school with like long hair and a fringe and everything. So I also ended up chopping off all my hair. I had a pixie cut for most of the rest of high school, actually, Mm. and that felt really liberating to me and I felt much better about myself. There's just something about changing your hair and your appearance and finally accepting that this is how you, it matches how you feel inside That feels very liberating, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's literally a weight that's chopped off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I remember during that time as well, I um, really enjoyed, like, wearing men's clothes or, like, yeah, boys' T-shirts and things like that. And that just felt really good to me, I remember, at the time. Like you talked about before, like, those little flashes of like happiness Mm -hmm. as well. There's just more room. Yeah. (laughs) There's more pockets. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess we've talked about um, your queer identity and, you know, queerness and what it means to you. So I understand that you have a background in journalism as well. And, you know, you have a passion for storytelling, I'm guessing, as well.
1: So do you want to tell us more about that? Oh, definitely. So, um, I think ever since I was a, I I was a kid, I'd always wanted to be a journalist Mm -hmm. because I always found it kind of fascinating, um, to realize that, you know, we all have our own stories. So I studied, uh, journalism in the communications program at the university of Guam. And after that, I spent two years as a broadcast journalism on Guam and, and I mostly covered, um, education, science, and um, environmental issues. Mm-hmm. So I think during that time, it was just really inspiring to get to know the community here, to get to know the, the community here and all the stories that they had to tell.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I also used to be a journalist as well um, for the national TV station in New Zealand. I was um, an online journalist. And yeah, I think, unlike your experiences, I really did not enjoy covering the kind of like, just like the white and like, um, kind of often sexist topics that I needed to cover, um, on a daily basis really. And yeah, I just experienced a lot of like gendered racialized discrimination during my job as well. And I felt like I didn't fit the ideal image they wanted for a journalist that they would promote to be on TV because it's mostly just the ideal like white woman or like the model minority that would get promoted. And it gave me, I was very unhappy in that job. So yeah, I'm really glad to hear that you had a really positive experience in journalism as well. But did you feel burnt out at times too? Uh,
1: Definitely. I feel, I, you know, as exciting and as much of an honor it was to be able to listen to all these stories and to really get to know the community here. It's hard being so close. Like it's hard to really draw those boundaries between work and life because you are dealing with people who are probably just down the street from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do resonate with like what I do relate with what you said, like earlier about that sort of discrimination, because um, I would often, when I would anchor uh, I would be on screen and at the mercy of our viewers. And there were times in which um some people would comment, really mean things. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm just trying to do my job and exist here. Like, what is going on? And so sometimes, like, you know, putting yourself out there is scary. Yeah. And I don't think that, like, a lot of people just acknowledge that and kind of take that for granted. Like, putting yourself out for hundreds, maybe thousands of people to see and... It's, it's, it's a brave thing to do and, you know, you're not really helping if you're being
0: mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So did you feel like within your journalism job, you got to cover um, topics around gender and queerness as well? And mm. did that contribute to what you later did with, um, you know, your work in filmmaking or was that beforehand?
1: Mm. Well, I did cover a few stories about like uh you know, the queer community here, I did cover, like, a few, like, pride events. Um There was one instance of, like, a someone had, uh, or a student had had tried to, like, make a diversity club at their school. Like, all of those, like, were really exciting stories that really kind of opened my eyes and said, oh, right. we really need more. We need more spaces here. And we need more, like, community here. And more chances for us to, like, get together and really talk about these things.
0: Yeah. Did you feel like it was difficult, though, as a journalist? Because you were often just like the observer and not really like the person to necessarily like be a part of those events you're covering or like drive the change. Did it feel like almost isolating for you or? Mm
1: -hmm. It kind of felt like sometimes during those interviews, it felt like uh, there was kind of like a glass wall Mm. in between me and my interviewee in which I was just the observer, the recorder, just someone who was there to like take in their perspective. While inside I was like, I really want to tell you that I'm just like you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I felt that too as well for a lot of the things I had to cover. So I guess, did you make films after or before you were a journalist?
1: Throughout. Throughout? Yeah. So Uh, I made a few films like when I was in college and a little bit after college, my most recent project that I worked on was, it was the, it was a film called good by Rizelle almonds. Uh, She's like a really great friend and she's such a great filmmaker Rizelle, If you're listening to this, you are awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And it was about what it's like struggling with depression. And it was just, it was really inspiring to be able to, to have the honor to work on
0: a story like that. And is it in 2018? In 2018, you um did you direct or produce a film called The Walk? Oh yes, you did. Yeah. Do you want to tell us more about that? And was it kind of revolving
1: around your own story or? Oh, for that one, um it was actually about. It was a documentary that I produced, directed, and shot all oh. on my own for like. Uh, a project for, for school. And it was about, um, my friend Trevor who, um, was trying to like find himself, um, religiously. So it's, so, um, it was just, he was a, an atheist and like he, uh, at one point like converted into Christianity. And so I wanted to like, get to know about like what his thought process were, were, um, regarding that journey.
0: Ah, oh, I see. So, what inspired you to be a filmmaker?
1: Well, I think uh, as someone who was a part of the communications program here at the University of Guam, I was just surrounded by fellow filmmakers. So I, I took a few classes like, uh, what is it? It was like documentary um, and independent film and independent filmmaking. And I did have like a few opportunities to work on like these mm-hmm. films and really get into the scene.
0: Yeah, that's really cool that you guys have so many opportunities here. I think when I was younger, I took, I was really interested in media studies in my last years of high school and I wanted to get into filmmaking, but my parents were just like, you know, being traditional Asian parents, they were like, you can't make a career out of that. So I kind of gave up on like wanting a creative career and filmmaking as well. And now I feel like it's too late. So <laughs> yeah, here I am making a podcast as some form of media making as well. Yeah, so uh, do you have any projects or films coming
1: up that you're planning to make? I don't have, like, any films that are, like, coming up, but I am working on, like, a collection of poetry. I would describe it as, like, a a mini memoir of, like, my life and living here. I can't wait to read it. Will you publish it? Yeah, I would love to. I'm trying to work on, like, how to do that. It would be my very first time to do that. Yeah, so...
0: um In regards to the mediums you work with, like filmmaking and poetry and art. So how do you feel like your queer identity plays a role in that? Why these mediums?
1: I've always loved writing because I've always been a storyteller. Like I have a lot of like um, memories from my childhood of just going home after school and going to my grandpa's room and being like, grandpa, tell me a story. And he'd always tell me like um, all of these uh, folktales from like the Philippines and they would be like the three, three same folktales, but like with different details each time. So he'd essentially be telling me the same story, but with different details. But to me, it was always like, a, it was always exciting. It was always a, a different story, even even though it was the same. And so I found like a lot of excitement in being able to create these worlds and these spaces in which you could experience, even if it's only for a few moments. So, yeah, I've always loved stories and I've always loved books and I've always loved writing. When it came to film, it was kind of like for me, an extension of writing, except that you could see all of the scenes in your head kind of play out on the screen. As far as like other like sort of things that I or other other art forms that I I deal with, I also I've gotten into printmaking and I'm and I'm trying to like, Uh, learn how to collage. So it's been really exciting to like, you know, explore all of these ways in which I could express myself.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I love that you're doing so many different things. I feel like (laughs) I do that too. Like one minute I'll be like making zines and the next minute I'm like, oh, I want to maybe try out making a podcast or something or like some other medium or like I want to do like baking or something. But I think, that also just links to, like, how complex our identities are as well. And, like, being queer is, like, a part of this, like, expansive identity where you identify as, like, many things. Do you feel like that sometimes? Oh, definitely. Yeah?
1: It's kind of like I see myself as a garden, and I can cultivate different parts of myself, and there are all these different parts of the garden, but they're all me. And not one is specifically representative of me, but everything as a collective is me.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So I guess, what do you see for queer representation on Island in future? Or, yeah, in the next few years, is there something you're looking forward to?
1: Well, I mean, we did talk about, like, (laughs) queer coffee shops.
0: Yeah, building
1: more spaces. Yeah, and book clubs. Like, we, I really want more spaces in which queer people can exist without like alcohol and without being like late at night and without being like out late at night, like I would want us to be seen when the sun's out. Um, I would also love to see like, in terms of like healthcare, like a clinic in which that would be open to, um to queer patients. I like mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've lived here all my life and I can't tell you any physicians or clinics that are here that kind of offer that sort of healthcare. And that's, And and it really makes me sad because I feel like we need it. Definitely. I feel like there definitely needs to
0: be more gender diverse healthcare after coming here. Because, you know, when I first came here or yeah, for the time I've been here, I was pregnant as I shared. And I think just like the kind of healthcare I received was not very gender affirming. And Mm -hmm. it was very like, uh, you're a woman, you're going to be a mother giving birth. So these are the things that um, you have to check off your, you know, whatever checklist you have, or you should feel very happy that you're going to have a child or like, this is what your daughter will do, like all very like, kind of biologically aligned things mm-hmm. that I was told through the process that made me feel very uncomfortable, even around like breastfeeding and the messages around that. Yeah, all of it gave me quite a negative experience, I would say. Yeah. So I definitely agree with you in terms of healthcare. Like I see that a lot of forms here are very outdated as well in terms of the options you can check for, um, gender and also sex. It's just male, female, maybe other, if they're feeling
1: generous and I'm like, okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So definitely those things as well. And Maybe last question, what are your goals and aspirations for the future? What are you looking
1: forward to? One of my goals is to wake up earlier so I can get empanadas. <laughs> <laughs> Where's
0: That's, the best empanadas on Island? The one in my hand.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I think some goals. Yeah, I don't really have like any any like set goals or aspirations. They're mm-hmm. more kind of like directions, which is like saying yes to more things and more opportunities that I haven't really, um, that I'm not really used to, like, for example, I'm used to interviewing people. I'm not used to like being the one who's interviewed. So like, I'm trying my best to be like open to new experiences and just like, even though I'm scared or even though I'm confused to just like roll with it and see where it takes me
0: yeah yeah I think I'm trying that out too for this year yeah new year new me maybe (laughs) (laughs) yeah how did you feel about our interview
1: it was so fun it was so lovely to meet you
0: yes likewise yeah I felt like I talked about earlier I felt very nervous doing this in my first podcast so yeah I'm glad you enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and I'm trying this out for the end of every podcast episode for this segment. So what are three of your favorite songs or any media that you're consuming right now that um, you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Oh, man, Man, that's a tough one.
0: It can be anything, something you're watching or an artist, maybe.
1: Yeah, well, a song that I always love to listen to when it's like kind of difficult to like really feel good about myself is love myself by Haley Steinfeld, Steinfeld. Um, She uh, like her work has been like so inspiring because that song I feel is a celebration of like yourself as a person Mm -hmm. in the world. Um, uh, I've been watching a lot of comedy sketches and one um, sketch that I really love is Nanette by Hannah Gadsby. Who is a butch lesbian com- comedian, and I just felt so seen, and dur- during um, uh, that piece, and it was just, it was just so good. <laughs> I cried so much, as much as I laughed. Okay, I'll check it out.
0: Oh, awesome! Yeah, what do you have another one to share with us? Um, hmm.
1: let's see. I think, and this can be like anything, just anything. Anything. Within. Well, I recently <laughs> finished the Greenbone saga by Fonda Lee, which is basically an urban uh a trilogy of urban fantasy books, um, with a lot of like East Asian um inspired elements in which there are two uh families, two like gang families that are kind of like at war with each other. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the questions that it asked is like what would you do for your family? And how much and what would where where would your love take you? So it's been good it's, I think it's like one of the best books I've read within like these past few years so is it like historical or is it based on now it's set in I would say like the 1960s like Taiwan or like Hong Kong
0: oh so okay it's really cool yeah did you watch Pachinko no Uh you should watch it it's a series on um, Apple TV
1: oh that is so awesome yeah is it based on the book it's, or
0: yeah it's based on the book I have oh, the book you have yeah. the book you should read it I yeah.
1: will <laughs> have to yeah. it after this
0: Okay. Well, I guess we'll wrap up here, but it was really good to have you on the show and finally meet up. Oh yeah. definitely. Yeah.
1: It's been an honor. You are so lovely and thank you all for listening. It's been really great to be able to share my story with you and I hope that you feel more comfortable and you feel more loving.